Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. We're back in the backyard. It's steaming hot out here, Steve. What do you think? I'll take this over the cool weather any day. <laughs> yeah. Even Des is panting. She's so hot. Yeah, yeah. no. I, I live in Canada, yet I do not like negative uh, 20 degree weather. I don't ski. I don't uh, I don't go ice skating downtown on the uh, by the Toronto sign. It was 40 degrees in Calgary yesterday or the other day, and someone was telling me that they were out there in the winter was minus 40. So you get, they're getting 80 degree swings and weather in Calgary these days. <laughs> well, poor Wild. Calgary. They're missing their top two players. Yeah. Gone. Sold off. Nah. But I'll tell you about a group that has a lot of great players still on Go it. Go for it. Tell me about the them. The <laughs> sponsor of the Toronto Under Construction podcast is the Plus Group. The Plus Group is comprised of five distinct companies. RN Design, SRN Architects, Salesfish, Sales Software, Kool-Aid Studios, and Studio Unio ID. Offering services and marketing, architecture, interior design, and real estate software, their mission is simple, Steve. To revolutionize the real estate industry through efficiency, innovation, and quality while adding value to the client experience. For more information on the Plus Group or any of their five companies, visit theplusgroup.ca. Wow. I always read that so well. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I feel like I'm on a radio show. Yeah. Our last guest told us, Ben, you've got a radio voice. <laughs> got a face for radio, too, I bud. Face. I definitely have a face for radio. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's get started. Great we've guest. got a great guest today. We're super excited to uh, to jump right into this. And uh, we'd like to introduce Sam Crignano to uh, the Toronto Under Construction Podcast. And the, for those of you who don't know Sam, he's the founding partner and president of Citizen Development Group. Sam has over 35 years experience in real estate development with emphasis on large urban and suburban mixed use and high-rise developments. Sam has extensive expertise in many disciplines, including sales and marketing, commercial and investment land assembly, acquisitions, planning and development of residential and mixed-use sites. Sam has been at the forefront of innovative design and was instrumental in bringing to market such noted successes as the Madison Center, Signatures on Bloor, Monaco, 1121, Hemingway, 88 on Broadview, The Essence, London on the Esplanade, Pier 27, The L Tower, and The Absolute Community. Of other notable luxury condominiums projects, there has included The Shores, Backstage, Garrison Point, and many, many more we could talk about all afternoon. Sam's remarkable diversity of experience makes him unique amongst his peers and a value leader in the industry. But one of Sam's greatest accomplishments is that he sits on the board of the Blue Jeans Foundation as Scientific Advisory Committee. And we're going to get into all the details at the end of this show. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Sam Crignano. Thank you for having me. That is quite the list of projects. And I was going on and on there thinking, wow, these are some, some notable ones. And <laughs> well, we'll get my, into it. My favorite London on the Esplanade, obviously, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into those. But yeah, no, thanks so much for joining us and coming to my house and sitting in the backyard in this heat. <laughs> yeah, we, we should have told you to wear some shorts. to be here. So let, let's get into it. Let's for get sure. into a little bit about your, your career. So, um, you know, and we'll, 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 dis, we'll discuss this gentleman a little bit later, but you started out in the real estate business working for your father-in-law in the 1980s. Uh, you know, tell us a little about how, how that came about. That's true. Uh, my father-in-law was involved uh, in a company called uh, Camrost, 
And um, he basically was the construction arm for, for Camros, did all the, all the construction. And uh, I joined him in um, early 80s. Uh, and at that time, we set up a company called Edelcan. And uh, believe it or not, those early days uh, were mainly involved in industrial commercial development. Um, wow. I was involved in a uh, uh, industrial development at uh, Highway 7 and, uh, and Jane Street called the Vaughan Business Park. We developed uh, some land in there and uh, we had lands in uh, Beaver Creek, uh, Dufferin and Langstaff, uh, Steeles and Jane. And um, and that's that's how I started. Uh, and was I, it uh, was it uh, a little? Were you, were you nudged into the business? Were you were you sort of your wife was like, go work with my dad, or were you like, you know, Mister Father-in-Law, I'd love to come work with you. It seems like you got a great thing going. Well, back when uh, when I was young in high school, I went out with a friend of mine who was a builder, and we decided uh, to get our real estate licenses. Oh wow! And uh, I forgot what grade I was in ten, eleven, whatever. Wow. Um, and uh, we went out, got our real estate licenses, and I went a little further than that. I, I ended up getting a mortgage broker's license. Nice. I, I took a number of uh, appraisal courses. I thought I was going to get an accreditation at one point, um, and I was going to go to York University, and I decided not to. I decided really? that I was going to go to work. Wow. And, uh, and this was all in your own accord, just an entre- entrepreneurial it teenager. It is, but you know, I grew up in a family. My father was a carpenter by trade. And, uh, you know, he and my uncles would buy properties and, uh, you know, with their, their own hands, they would fix them up and uh, they would sell them or keep them. Cool. Um, they'd group a few family members together and buy pieces of land. And, uh, you know, I got my, uh, my exposure to the industry uh, early hand. on yeah. in, 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 in my days. Was that in and, Toronto? In Toronto. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I remember on the weekend, you know, going with my dad and real estate agents and, and walking through forests and coming out of those forests, <laughs> you know, bitten alive with, <laughs> by flies or black flies, whatever they were. Um, but uh, that uh, that's what got me interested in the business. And, cool. Uh, how many, how many uh, high school kids are out getting their real estate license followed by their mortgage broker's license? <laughs> yeah. And uh, no. Fl- flipping houses and on I the really weekends. never, you know, never put those to practice. Uh, it was just uh, knowledge that I that I was after. Um, so we got involved uh, with uh, with Adelcan, and um, I was there for a number of years, and, and then decided in the late '80s to break away and, and do my own thing, and uh, got involved in some land development. Uh, we bought uh, we bought some land in Vaughan, uh, myself and a partner. His name is uh, Frank Lucetta. Uh, set up a company called uh, uh, Turk uh, uh, Terracon. Terracon, if I, if, I, if I recall that correctly, Terracon. Because you're also partners with Joe at Terracot, isn't it? So any, Joe, any Joe, Joe has a company called Turcot. Turcot. Yeah, we're we're involved in a number of his, uh, any his any deals. relation to no, this early no relation at all. Oh wow, just coincidence. Just, yes, interesting. Um, and so you know we were involved in a number of. Uh, uh, different land acquisitions and, and developments. Uh, and back in those days, you could buy a parcel of land, you can subdivide it, sell lots off to a builder and, and make money doing that. Uh, that eventually came to an end uh, because land became so scarce and uh, builders needed uh, a reliable source of, of lots. So uh, they started to develop themselves. And that kind of eliminated that land developer that, uh, that was providing, providing lots. So I did that through until 
90, 91. And then the crash, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the depression. It was, it was a depression in our yeah. industry. And, uh, you know, there, there was unfortunately blood on the street. It was, it was, it was so severe. Um, and um, at that point, uh, you know, I decided that uh, we needed to move on and, uh, and do something different. And um, I got back together with my father-in-law and... Um, uh, that period of time coincided with the uh, uh, election of an NDP government in Ontario, yeah. uh, Bob Ray, uh, Bob Ray's government. And uh, so Bob started to spend money on, on affordable housing. And so we jumped on that ban- bandwagon. And my father, father-in-law, having uh, the wherewithal on the construction side, um, was well equipped to, uh, to take that on. And uh, that kept us busy through the, the early 90s. Um, and then come 95, uh, Harris comes to government and, uh, the first thing he does is axes all those programs. <laughs> and, uh, Damn conservatives, eh? Yeah, I thought those, they were, those, I thought they were developer friendly. And, uh, so, you know, we're, we're wondering at that point, okay, what, what do we do now? Uh, you know, the, the nonprofit, uh, business had, had come to an end abruptly. And that's when we decided to get back into, condominium development. At that time, um, um, uh, you know, we were scouting for opportunities and uh, I came across uh, a, a development actually was brought to me by um, Saul Wassamuel uh, at Page and Steel. And it was a development oh, yeah. on Bloor Street, 55 Bloor Street East, um, just uh, east Straight of Young Street yeah. on the south side next to the Xerox Center. Yeah. And it was the old town cinema it. and an office building. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and that was our that was our first uh, condo development uh, back from that you know Great Depression. And did you consider that Yorkville at the time or no? Uh, Yorkville, you know, I still don't consider it Yorkville. <laughs> <laughs> I don't consider anything east of Young Street Yorkville, but. Um, uh, you know, I, th- I think if you go back and look at our marketing, you'll probably see Yorkville in, <laughs> in there somewhere. <laughs> Fair enough. And so was that was was that the uh, the origination of Citizen Group or, or did no? Citizen that was actually was still still with uh, with Edelcan, and um, uh, and from that we went on and and developed something in North York uh, on Bing Avenue called Monaco. Um, and then we bought the old La Scala restaurant property at uh, Bay and Charles on the southeast corner and uh, developed uh, something there called 1121 Bay Street. 1121, right. Um, and that was in the early, sorry, sorry, that was in, you know, the late 90s. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, I, I had the itch to do something on my own and uh, uh, broke off again and uh, I wanted to uh, pursue uh, development um, with some other partners and um, and that started this this citizen journey. Um, and our first project was a project at the Donway and uh, Lawrence Avenue called Hemingway. And um, I did that in partnership with uh, the Goldenberg family, um, Myriad, and uh, the Kimmels, uh, oh, yeah. Westdale Properties. Hmm. Um, and that was uh, that was basically the first citizen project. Um, and that land I bought from. Um, um, Cecilia Benatar, who okay. had developed all of that land, and back in the '80s, a lot, a lot of it was sold off to Bramalee. Oh, right. And uh, so this was a remnant parcel that she had right at the uh, right at the corner, 
And, uh, you know, she was, uh, she was tough to negotiate, <laughs> but, uh, she took a liking to me. I, you know, I was much younger than today. And, uh, um, and I was able to uh, negotiate that deal, and uh, it was a complicated approval process. Um, but uh, we we brought on Adam Brown, and uh, wow, Adam's a wizard. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, managed yeah. to uh, to get that uh, get that approved. So uh, I have a question, uh, just more about the about the company name because it's a great develop it's a great name for a development company on it there's all these new developers coming up and they're coming up with these funky names but citizen 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 seems like such like a perfect fit but was it you thought of that or not you came all. up with I'm it not, i'm not going to take any no? credit for that really and uh so where did it come frank from with you it's uh it, it was uh joe sulpizi from the brand factory really so joe came up with that uh that citizen name it's brilliant it really is. It's, it it seems like it's before its time. Yeah. You know, it, 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 I just think of like a company that was started in the early 2000s or late 90s would just have a really cheesy name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we take the two partners and we ram the name together and yeah. that's the name of it. So your your father-in-law, I uh, understand, recently passed. He did. Yeah. Is there any, uh, any significant uh, memory or story or... Uh, well, he you was, know, uh, you know, he was an icon in our, in our industry. Um, and, uh, you know, he was tough as nails and uh, had that reputation. Uh, That's where, you, where he, you get it from, I guess. But he knew his <laughs> stuff. I mean, you know, no one could teach him how to build a building. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, he grew up in, in that in that business. I mean, they started off uh, as masons. Wow. So he was a masonry contractor working on the job site. Um, and that's... Those guys are tough as nails. That's how that's where, where they is. get it, yeah. yeah. I've heard a few people, more than a few people say that they said Edelcan built the best buildings out there, all right, in terms of uh, lease deficiencies and, and, and doing it quickly and, and getting things done. He so. was a builder. You, you could never call him a developer he would uh he would take offense to being called a developer <laughs> really uh, you know he always wanted to be known as as a builder because that's that that's what he was pr- proud of he was proud of his ability to build um and he was good at it he was the best yeah <laughs> F- funny story we uh i was supposed to do like a market study because uh, this developer was buying this site on the 427 and i was and this was you know i don't know 2009, so kind of like the start of the the global financial crisis, and uh, and I started looking at the numbers. I'm like, ah, oh, hell no, I shouldn't buy this <laughs> buy this site. And so, obviously, Elcan bought the site, and 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 on phase six or something out there, right? So they, unbelievably they, successful. They did remarkably project. well, really? um, and then they bought the adjacent parcel of land, and um, and they still have. I'm not sure how many buildings left to build there, but. Um, so is Edelkan still in operation today? Still in operation. Yeah. My uh, brother-in-law is now at the helm, Champero, okay. and uh, GP, uh, as, as I call him. And um, it, uh, yes, it continues. Yeah. And, and do you we'll, do business we'll with them now at, at Citizen? Are you guys partners or anything, or do they do any construction for you? We, we haven't. No? Um, but you know, my kids are now in the business, and my family has uh, taken control of Citizen. So. Um, you know, I think down the road there there might be that possibility where my children might do something with their uncle, and yeah. uh, I would uh, would really like that. Uh, that would be, um, you know, that would be a, a great uh, great thing if that were to happen, um, and I would encourage it. But um, yeah, it's up to them. We we move on now. The next yeah. generation. So what what was the what was the first big uh, 
I guess th- those are pretty marquee projects. But was there was there a significant project that you remember doing with Citizen that you that sort of put you guys on the map a little bit as well, far think, as the industry know, I, would be concerned? Right. Uh, I think Absolute Mississauga. I mean that that yeah. has to be uh, you know a. Uh, a project that uh, stands out. Um, that's, the, that's just for everyone. That's the Marilyn Monroe Towers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if everyone would. Uh, anyone well, lots of would, nicknames. Uh, yeah. you know, the one that I like is Twisted Sister, but uh, <laughs> every everyone has a uh, has a name for those for those buildings. But you know that for me is uh, is something that uh, took on a life of its own. Of um, course. You know, you could not have sat down and, and written that story. Um, Can you tell it, us the story? Because I'm so interested. It's yeah, well, I want to know how heard, the but, design competition <laughs> yeah, came about. Yeah, and, it's, it's brilliant. And, and, and ultimately, it, we have to know if you made any money on those buildings. Because <laughs> that's, well, that's the debate I'll, people I'll, always say I'll to me. I'll start with that. Believe it or not, we did. We did, uh, we did well. Um, and, uh, you know, we were criticized for doing what we did. And people didn't think we were going to fetch a premium in the marketplace. But we fetched a 20% premium to market. Wow. Um, and we were against some tough competition. Uh, Tridel was there and Daniels was there in that marketplace. And uh, so it what all is the story? So back up, so tell me from the beginning. I, I got to well, hear this. It all started with uh, the acquisition of these lands in Mississauga. Um, so the lands were owned by um, Harold Chip. And um, at the time, there was a, an insurance company that was his partner called Clerica. And I had been negotiating with, uh, with Harold to acquire that land. And uh, I went through all the due diligence, and uh, and we were we were ready to uh, uh, to go firm. Well, to go firm at that time, we didn't even have a contract in place, uh, so we were not conditional. We had been doing our due diligence, but without any contract in place. Um, Clerica gets sold to Sun Life right. um, or a merger. I can't recall exactly how that came about, but um, all of a sudden, Sun Life uh, is in the picture, and. Um, and they decided that um, they wanted to run a process that you know they couldn't just sit down with me and negotiate a deal. Uh, so they bring they bring on uh, Barnicky, and um, Barnicky's a listing agent and comes to market. And um, I needed a partner at the time. Um, and uh, my first uh, my first approach was to the Myriad Group and uh, and those partners, but. Um, they weren't keen on developing anything in, in Mississauga. Uh, they were mostly interested in in downtown Toronto properties. Um, so I went looking for a partner, and um, around that time, I got a call from um, uh, Nick Cordellucci, and uh, they were looking at some lands in Brampton because they wanted to get into the high-rise game, and uh, so they knew that I had some experience um, and wanted me to have a look at the site in Brampton. And Fernbrook was also Fernbrook, yeah. involved with uh, with with uh, Nick Cordellucci, and uh, so I had a look at uh, I had a look at the site in Brampton. Nothing that interested me, uh, but I said to Nick, "Look, we're we're going after this property in, in Mississauga, and uh, you know I really like this this property. We need a partner, um, and I think it it would be perfect uh, for you and and your group if you want to." Uh, get into the uh, high-rise business. And he introduced me to Danny, and uh, so Danny gets on board and uh, uh, at Fernbrook, and uh, we formed this new alliance with uh, with Fernbrook Homes and, and Danny at, at the What home. year was that? Um, so that was 2002, 2003. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
And what was and, it that made you like what what I mean, it's such an interesting touch and feel. It's an art for developers like yourself to feel like that's this site just it, it, you you had the right feeling that it was going to work. Like what was it about that site? Cuz at the time, I mean, I was in Mississauga yesterday looking at development and it's going yeah. gangbusters but in 2002 it wasn't what it was today there was no lrt the malls were small it was the right. population was a tenth of what it was to right. today but i grew up in mississauga okay so, there it is you know, so you knew it I, I, I remember that site when i was growing up and it was uh you know it was moose pasture yeah um so <laughs> there, there, there was nothing there um so you know when when we showed up in in 2002 um you know, it was well underway in terms of becoming a city center. Um, and uh, so it just it just felt right. I mean, it was, you know, where Main Street meets Main Street. It's at, right. it's at the four corners of Mississauga. Right. Um, so it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. Um, okay, that's, that, that makes sense. So And so we bid, we bid it hard. Bar- Barnicky had the listing. Uh, we, we bid it hard, no conditions, uh, all cash. Wow. And... Uh, you know, we were up against uh, some of the big guys, um, and we we won the bid. So that's how we acquired it. And uh, I brought on um, uh, Roy Vericali, uh, who was at Berka Vericali at the time, um, architects. And uh, so we start with phase one, and and then phase two, which was very similar to phase one, and phase three, which was very similar to phase two. Um, you know, run of the mill, I would say medium quality developments. And our pricing was, you know, when we first started, a little lower than Tridel and Daniels. And, and then, you know, we sold well and, and we moved the prices up and we got to a, a place where, you know, prices were at par with everyone else in that, uh, in that, in that neighborhood. And uh, so we're, not, we're now left with these two sites uh, right on here, Ontario. And uh, one day I happened to be golfing with Ed Sajaki, who was the planning commissioner. And a friend of mine, um, I think it was a tournament uh, that we were in. Um, and uh, so I started quizzing uh, Ed, you know, so Ed, we've got these two sites. What do you think? Uh, you know, should I build a hotel, an office building, more residential? Um, and, and then it, it was an idea that, you know, I had been thinking about. But, you know, I just came out and said, you know, what do you think of a, an international design competition? And he looks at me like, you know, I'm, how many beers have you had for now? <laughs> and, uh, a few. <laughs> so, so I said, yeah, it, you know, it would be something that, uh, that we'd, be, we'd be interested in. And um, so later that day, I got back to the office. Uh, I get a call from Ed. And he goes, okay, let's do it. Really? <laughs> I, I go, do what? <laughs> he goes, well, I, I met with a mayor and she loves the idea. And so that's how it started. So really? that that uh, that was the beginning of that whole competition. And, and they allowed uh, you to. The, part of that was allowing you to do higher density. If you did, if you if you so did the, that. So this is what facilitated this uh, the success of this and and the ability to be able to do it. We had a bylaw which basically had no height limit, no limits in terms of number of units, no density limit. Oh wow! The only governing factor was parking. So for every unit. You had to supply a parking a parking space, and uh, back in the day, you know, developers weren't digging very deep in Mississauga because shale is very shallow. So no one wanted to start hammering through rock. But uh, but we were used to doing that in the city. I mean, we yeah. you, in the city, you got to a certain level, and you hit shale, and and you have to start hammering away. Uh, you know, we'd go down 
four, five, six. Right through the rock. In the case yeah. of London, we went down seven levels. Yeah, wow. Um, hammering oh, wow. through rock. So it's you know it was something familiar to us. Um, and so we, you know, we assembled this team to create this international uh, design competition, put in place a jury um, that was uh, somewhat impartial. Uh, we, we played a role in that as well. <laughs> somewhat impartial. <laughs> and, uh, somewhat. <laughs> and off it went, uh, you know, and uh, we created this website and uh, made it known to the world that this is what we were doing. And uh, so cool. You know, before long, I think we had, I don't know, five or 600 hits on that on that website. And then we officially launched the competition and received 90 some odd submissions. Uh, and then we had to shortlist a few. Um, and one of the ones that were shortlisted was this, uh, this design by Mad Architects. And uh, when I first saw this design by Mad, I didn't think that we could ever build this thing. Um, and it came with a twisting structure, which, uh, you know, if you know a little bit about construction, it's, uh, expensive. it's, it's, it's something that is not just expensive, but uh, very difficult to do. Um, and so I didn't think we'd, we, we could ever go in that direction. But it's the design that everyone gravitated to, you know, including the mayor. You know, she said, I, you know, I really like that design. So we, we got together with uh, some local consultants and... Uh, Roy Vericali and uh, and some there were a number of other uh, consultants that were uh, at the table at the time, and I said, guys, the only way we're going to be able to do this is if we come up with uh, a conventional method of building the structure. And uh, so they worked on it, and uh, and they they came up with uh, with a way of building it whereby each floor plate is elliptical in shape, but it's the same shape. And it just, as, as it goes up the building, it twists. And then once you get midway up the building, it basically, it's a mirror image. It repeats itself. And that reduced the, the number of, of layouts. Right. Um, but the structure itself was static. So columns lined up over columns. Um, we had some thermal bridging issues, but, you know, we, we managed to find a way of building it that was conventional. And, uh, and that enabled uh, that, enabled that, uh, that design. Um, I mean, we came to market with that uh, development and, uh, you know, we sold it out in a weekend. Yeah. Um, and then we had the second phase and uh, we were wondering at that time, okay, what should we do? Should we just give it a rest and uh, try and do something different with that second phase? And uh, we just wanted to continue with that momentum. And uh, we brought in Matt and said to them, look, uh, there's great again. demand for a second tower. Yeah. Um, you think we can replicate this and at first they didn't like the idea and and uh, you know I didn't like the idea of, of building an identical tower um, so uh, they went back and and did some work on it and uh, and it's a little shorter uh, it's a little different uh, but uh, it, it has you know similar characteristics and off we went selling that one and uh, again sold it out what did you um, sell for per foot? Do you remember? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but a I, again, it was like you know a premium of about twenty percent of market. Yeah, I, wow. I think the it was because I was tracking the market at the time. I think it was like six six hundred for the first phase, six twenty for the second phase, or six thirty. And the market at the time was about five fifty a foot, right? Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we were like, wow, look at that pricing. <laughs> <laughs> so you Which sold is, it out. You build it. You made money and. Uh, 
it's 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 and it's, then yeah and, and the then there was opportunity still talk to, about there, there was opportunity to buy other properties in mississauga nothing ever came close like you know nothing could ever better um what we did at uh, at that corner and so i kept looking i kept turning deals away which was unfortunate because there was great opportunity in mississauga to continue doing what yeah. we did and um you know, we chose to go in a different direction. So let me ask you a question. This is, a, I, I guess, I, I intuitively know the answer already. But I think a lot of people maybe listening to this podcast will ask this. And, and it's probably one of the biggest criticisms of development and developers and not only Toronto, but just like globally. But, you know, you look at those two buildings and you're like, they're such beautiful buildings. They're architecturally unique and sound and you know, they can go on and on about, about how well built they are, but it's just, it's never, it's not often or rarely done. Like, I mean, you've got, you've done the L tower, which is another architectural, you know, masterpiece, but no one does it. And if, you know, in your opinion, why, why don't more developers take more risks and, and do more creative design and, and architecture like that? Well, you know, I think since absolute, design changed in the city. I think people started paying attention to it and came to the conclusion that, uh, you know, great design means more money, um, at least on the sales side. Not necessarily bottom line. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> uh, so, and people started to care more about, about design. Um, and, you know, we've got some great architectural designers in the city, Peter, like uh, people like Peter Clues and yeah. Bruce Kulbara. I mean, we've got some great architectural talent in this city, uh, but yet here we are, you know, scouting the yeah. globe looking for, for an architect. Um, but I think it did change the landscape. Um, I think people started to pay attention to it. And for me, it's always been important. Uh, design has always been critical. Um, you know, obviously I want a, a building that's functional and, and works well on the interior and you have to start there, but, you know, it, it, it also has to have that aesthetic um, yeah. that fits into its neighborhood firstly. I did hear um, a few people complain that about the absolute, the curved walls. It wasn't good for couch placements and TV placements and all those things. So it, it, it had its challenges, yeah. uh, but uh, you know, it's, it, it, you have to, when you're, when you're involved in something like that, um, it, it, it's about compromise. The, the funny thing is I heard uh, so many projects sell in Mississauga uh, with, on you know on the other side of here Ontario for a premium for East premium because they view the absolute towers as like the CN Tower of Mississauga right yeah. so they get big premiums to look at those buildings so that, it must be pretty cool to hear like <laughs> hear things like that yeah right? I know it's it's it, we're we're proud of those buildings absolutely <laughs> uh, so where do we want where do we want to go next it, actually it's funny I, I I'll, I'll I'll share a little bit about uh so uh, I had a client that asked me and said what's the value of architecture right you what, what, what's that you know what's that cost me if i go out and i get a shop architect from new york or a uh you know a, a genie gang or something like that i'm like it's it's hard in the in the new home market to just to to look at things on a, a apples to apples basis so because so very you know not that often that a Starchitect project is launching at the same time as a non-Starchitect project, right? right? And they have to be fairly close geographically. But so, like, I so I'm like, well, I can look in the resale market. I mean, it's not the same as a new. And so I can I, I looked at units at uh, the L Tower on the same floor as as uh, backstage to see if there was any difference in price. 
all the units in backstage are, are higher, similar, similar really? floor, similar size. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, you know, do with that what what you will. But I guess you know, if for, for most people, I think resale? for most people, it's about you know what's the function functionality of my suite. You know, it's great to look and go, wow, I live in the L Tower. It's such a cool building. But in the end, you're on the inside of it <laughs> most of the time, right? That's true. I mean, the L Tower benefits from some great uh, uh, visual viewpoints. So if you're driving on the Gardner uh, going eastbound, um, it's right in front of you. No, it's um, awesome. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a striking image. Um, now, when, um, when Leapskin first designed that building, uh, because Leapskin does not like cur uh, curves. Really? And, uh, but what's distinct about L Tower is that curve at the, yeah. at, at the top. Everything that, that Leapskin does is pointed. Um, and what led to that? What led to that was a shadow on Birdsey Park. No way. So huh. in, in, in trying <laughs> to eliminate that shadow, you ended up with, with, the uh, with that design element. Um, and it's, you know, it's so So what came first, building. the name, the L-Tower? Because it was sort of originally was going to have like the shape yeah, of, of an L at the bottom, right? What happened right? to the boot? <laughs> yeah, the boot <laughs> portion. What happened to the boot? Uh, we, in, in retrospect, we should have... We should have built the boot ourselves, uh, but that was something that uh, the city of Toronto wanted for themselves. It was uh, an addition to the at the time Sony Center, um, and then there wasn't enough money to to accommodate it, and uh, and off it went. And uh, so you basically gave up the all, all control of the boot and right. Uh, but that's too bad. You know, it could have been a very interesting office retail play. Yeah. Um, so I regret not pursuing that, but, you know, we were, don't forget what happened in, with, with Altar. It, it got caught during that financial collapse yeah. Yeah. and, uh, you know, the market just died. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we had sales, but we didn't have financing. So, uh, during that period of time, we went out looking for financing and, uh, we finally managed, uh, to convince BNP Paribas uh, to lend us the money. That's and French, that, that French was, bank, right? Yeah, that was one of the first projects uh, that was financed after that collapse, wow. after that financial collapse. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize that was the timing there. Yeah. <clears throat> so I have to ask about the L Tower. Everyone always asks me because they're like, oh, you're in the business. And they're like, what's up with the crane? It's, the, it's like the hottest topic <laughs> yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, the hottest topic in real estate. And I've asked Dom about it before, and he's always like, oh, my God, just don't bring it up. <laughs> but I, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you. You got to set the record straight. We talk about Crane Gate. <laughs> yeah, Crane Gate. Yeah, so. It must, it must, you can also tell me to piss off, too. <laughs> I, I don't, you don't have to answer. No, <laughs> no. no that, so that building had, had a crane that was not inside the building as they are typically um it, it was attached to the building um on the uh, on the east side and it it stayed up as long as it did because we needed to construct a bmu uh, at the very top um so the structure had been completed but we hired a contractor to build this bmu initially um who failed to deliver and then we had to find another contractor, redesign the BMU, um, and it was a company out of uh, Denmark, I believe, um, Access Platforms that ultimately delivered uh, the BMU. And uh, so until that BMU was, was delivered and in place, that crane had to remain there. And obviously we didn't want it there because it tied up many of our units. That, that 
crane, that uh, crane gets uh, braced back into the building. And so all those units on that corner uh, basically couldn't be completed. Um, but that's the story. Uh, it was unfortunate, <laughs> but, you know, shit happens. Yeah. It's one of those stories that I think when it's such a prominent building, it, everyone looking at it, like you said, you drive into the city and everyone's staring at it. <laughs> the rumor mill just gets going and going and it's like takes on a life of its own that obviously is well beyond your control but i, I do want to take a quick step back though uh, and, and ask you a question about the affordable housing that's a you know it's a major topic but i'm just curious how they uh, what was the what was the financial model they used back in the uh in the ndp days for for affordable housing well, there were different programs. I mean, I can't recall exactly what they were, but the, back in the day, there were many subsidies um, that there was, the, these were government, some of them were government funded projects. Um, so you just acted as a merchant well, builder then? Mostly, yeah. yes. Um, but we did, we did uh, build uh, a senior housing project um, at Patricia and Bathurst. I don't know if you remember that yeah. project. It was, uh, it was a condo project called, uh, Sophia. And, uh, when, um, the financial crisis came, uh, we basically, uh, stopped that project. We, we, we just closed the sales office and, and we're just going to wait it out, uh, and reopen the sales office. Um, there was a program that initiated at the federal level, meandered through, uh, the province, uh, Toronto Community Housing ultimately administered it. Um, and they provided uh, a grant of $120,000 per unit um, to build uh, an affordable uh, senior development. And uh, there were 3,000 grants for, uh, for the city of, uh, of Toronto. And you had to be shovel ready. That was a prerequisite. And that site was shovel ready. So we jumped on that bandwagon. We were... Uh, we were allotted uh, the grant, uh, 200 and some odd units, and uh, we uh, we built that building. It's it's at the corner of Patricia and, and Bathurst. So it's a senior housing project, independent living. Basically, uh, we're leasing at uh, 80% of CMHC average. Um, at year 20, it starts uh, converting to market rental. Um, and ultimately, it'll be a market rental uh, development. So you own it, own it still? And we, we will own it still. Huh, so, interesting. So that's a formula that worked really well. And uh, when we were negotiating our approvals at 3C, which is our site at um, Cherry and, uh, and Lakeshore on, on the Toronto waterfront, um, we came up with a similar um, a proposal there where we're, we're producing affordable rental and um, it's it's uh, it's a program whereby um, at a certain time um, I, I forgot what year it, it is close to twenty um, we can start uh, converting that to um, uh, market rentals and that was part of the section thirty seven requirement um, and that program worked out really well you know I'm surprised that we're not seeing more of that um, I just think that. You need to leave the flexibility to uh, come up with these various ideas. The city tends to have these prescriptive, you know, guidelines always, uh, as they did with the tall building guidelines. But it's, it, you know, they're, they're always looking for something very prescriptive uh, in, in, in a regulation. Um, 
and that doesn't afford a lot of creativity. I think if you left it up to the private sector um, to come up with creative ideas, I think we'd have a lot more affordable housing. And yeah. on the point of, of risky architecture, right? Yeah. There's probably a lot of developers who do propose something, you know, pretty crazy. And then it's like, oh, I don't know if we like that, right? Like, no, the, in uh, the city, there's, there's so many controls in like place. And the you, West and Bank project, they hated that when it came out, right? Like, well, this looks a little weird. Well, the problem is, too, I mean, <laughs> you see all these like creative renderings in, in the application phase, and then fast forward three years of the process, and you end up just with a. Uh, a glass rectangular box, right? And it's it's unfortunate, but I mean, it's a it's a thing of cost, and I think it's design in the city and all the restrictions. It's you know, the process is so cumbersome, and uh, it's it's long, and uh, you know, it involves so many agencies and and different departments, and you know, they have to tick off those boxes, and it doesn't allow for a lot of creative thinking, right. unfortunately. Um, but that should be there somehow. Um, I don't have the answer for it, but you know, in the case of 3C, we managed to uh, to negotiate that, and, and it was something that we initiated. Um, there was a requirement, but you know, we uh, we we helped shape it. Um, so if they you know if they allowed that, uh, I I think you'd have non you know not nonprofit but affordable um, housing initiatives that that uh, could be very. Uh, yeah, I think Very if they had beneficial. started a type of inclusionary zoning 25 years ago and said we will, you know, put this money into uh, to, to for you to build X amount of affordable units in every single project. So there's no stigma because every single project has it and, and they're mixed among the building. It's not like one poor door and, and all the poor people come in on one side of the building. It's they're mixed in between and you don't know which unit's which and the city's paying for these units, right, or, or contributing them in, in some way financially, I think we'd have a, you know, there, there wouldn't be as much, I think there wouldn't be, there'd still be a lot, a decent amount of hate on developers, but there may be less less hate knowing that yeah. every single, they, every, people look at it and go, oh my God, look at all the condos and realize that, hey, 10% or 15% of every single unit in that building is a is an affordable unit, oh, I, right? I still think people would, would find a way to complain, but... Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, people complain about everything. Well, you know, I think rent control has got us into this mess in the first place. Um, I think if, you know, you left that up to the free market, you know, I'm I'm a believer in laissez-faire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, the institutions would not look at residential uh, investment properties because of government control. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't until maybe late 90s that the institution started to, well, the creation of the of, of the REIT as well. Um, and uh, so then the institutions started to take notice uh, and uh, and now they dominate that, uh, that, that marketplace. Yeah. Uh, well, we had to, when we had Tricon on the show, you know, they're committing, you know, millions if not billions to building rental and they're still like, it makes us nervous every single day knowing that a different government could come in and completely change the rules. And we're, you know, 80% of, of getting through in, in entitlements and ready to start construction and, and, and the whole, you know, our whole financial model can be thrown off by a, a different government coming in. I would love to build rental. I mean, yeah, I, I was going to say, you guys sold it, a rental that we site. own long-term. I like, I, I'd, I'd love that. Um, so if there's a way of, of, of doing it, I, you know, I'd be the first one in line. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we get criticized often, be, you know, because we're not building it. Uh, we're not building it for a reason. We can't make money at it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's interesting you say that because there's really only two big players in the city who are doing rental, and maybe th- maybe you know like private uh, private groups, maybe three, and you know they they seem to have figured out this model. But I mean, a lot of developers like yourself tell me the same thing. They're like, show me how I can make money doing this, and I'll do it. But I still haven't figured that out. And there's it seems like the majority of groups haven't figured out versus those who have. Well, at Garrison Point, we sold three buildings to Bentel Kennedy, and uh, we built the two condos, and they ended up building the three rentals. Um, You know, and they underwrote that at a much lower rent. And uh, but you know, they were different times. There was uh, there was a rise in the marketplace that they benefited from, and they bought the land at the right price. Um, This is before the surge in land values. Um, so I think they're doing really well there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the stars aligned for them for sure. to be able to achieve the, uh, the returns that they're achieving today. Tell us about Garrison Point, because that's a big project. Five towers, right? Five buildings or? Five buildings. <clears throat> uh, so we bought that from Diamond Core, and the city was a partner with, yeah. with Diamond Core. And um, so we went to market with uh, the first condo project, and... Yeah, it was a lukewarm market at the time. Would you um, consider it was it was it part of like the the Liberty Village growth t- period, or you're on the other well, side of what street is it? Strawn. East side. We're on the east side. Yeah, you're on the east side. Yeah. So are you, are you considered Liberty Village there, or not really? Well, that was you know during during that marketing planning phase, uh, you know everyone was asking that question. You know, are we Liberty Village? Or are we something else? Are we are we King West West? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what what the heck are we? Um, and, uh, yes, I mean, the fact that Liberty Village is at your door, yeah, we're Liberty Village, but, you know, there's also good connections to the rest of the city as well, uh, through Stanley Park and, uh, or Fort York, uh, you're down at, uh, at, at, at Lakeside in no time. Um, but, you know, it was, it was, it was a lukewarm market. And because of that, we decided to sell to Bentall. Um, How'd that deal come out? Did they approach you? I think it came through uh, BMO Capital Markets. Um, I, oh, yeah. I can't recall how exactly. I think Tony Reale and his his boys uh, approached us. Um, but you know, then we we had the second the second tower, and and we we wanted uh, we wanted to start building that at the same time we were building the condo that we had just sold, um, but we didn't have sales. Um, so we thought, okay, so why don't we, if, if it's good enough for, for Bentall to build rentals, why don't we build rentals? So we went down that road um, and ran the numbers and, you know, the thing was making sense. Um, and we were able to secure financing uh, through Desjardins uh, on the basis that we were going to build a condo to the south and this rent, purpose-built rental to the north. Um, so off we go, uh, we, we start building it. Um, we let all our contracts and we get to the second or third floor on the North side. All of a sudden the market had come back. Not only had the market come back, but values had appreciated. And we're now looking at numbers that were somewhere in the order of eight to $900 a square foot. So ran the numbers again. (laughs) Holy shit. this, This is a great condo play. Um, and so we, you know, we, we decided to convert it to, to condos. But what it taught us was if, if we're able to obtain financing and start construction, 
yeah. and get to a point where you've committed all your contracts. So now it's clear what your costs are. Yeah. You know, you're, not, you you're, you're not guessing and you're not, you know, in this uh, volatile market that we've experienced the last two years. Um, it makes a lot of sense. So that's why I always tell Steve, you should be doing financing with zero pre-sales, construction financing deals. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, and why not? I mean, the, the, you well, know, then, the, then you end up with, with all the problems I have in Manhattan. It's all these yeah. 90 story buildings with 20% pre sales and $300 million cost overruns. And they, yeah, they underwrite mean, them. Not, with, not with the, all buildings would, would qualify, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but no, in listen, that case, it, it, it all works. The problem is, and like, listen, like, we see it all the time. Like, the guys lock in their revenue and then they decide, then they get their approvals or they're just getting their approvals. Then they go, tender for costs and they realize that they undersold the building way too far in advance and they're they're not profitable and listen i think and then and then you you probably agree like with what's coming in the next six months here with with the uh interest rates and inflation and where prices are i think i think we're gonna i think we're about to see what's re- like what's really going to happen with these canceled projects because yeah, it, we're, we're lock, to locking see in it. revenue yeah we're likely to see a deadly. wave of cancellations for sure I think a wave is an understatement. I, I think it's coming in droves. It's going to be pretty nasty. I mean, that's a pretty rash, harsh uh, prediction, but it's like you. I see it. I mean, I you see it, like especially from our perspective, seeing sort of like the tier two developers, maybe not as experienced, not with your experience, anyways. You know, they get all excited and they sell the projects, and it's, it's, are it's you, uh, very scary. Are you building your own buildings? We we do both. We 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 build, but recently we've we've hired TMG to to build Garrison. Uh, TMG built uh, Pier Three, and TMG is also building uh, our Front Street project. Um, and we're we're pretty much complete. Uh, but it's for those very reasons that I haven't taken anything to market in the last two years. Yeah, I just had this uncomfortable feeling and. The volatility, volatility scared me. The unpredictability. Uh, you know, I'd have guys, you know, prepare my budgets, and and you know, a week later, you can throw that budget out the window because everything <laughs> yeah. has has changed. Um, so you know, that scared me, and uh, we decided to put a number of projects on hold that could have gone to market. Um, Where do you see the cost going in the next six to 12 months? Do you think they're still going to continue to go up or do you think we're going to see a plateau, hopefully see a plateau here? Well, you know, I think the market's adjusting and, uh, you know, it's going to it's going to pull back. Um, You're going to see some adjustment on the revenue side and you'll see some adjustment on the cost side. Um, Where that takes us, I I don't know. I wish I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, But. you know, we look. We've been through this before. People forget that you know real estate is a cyclical industry. Um, you know, it ebbs and flows. It's it's not a uh, a continuous upward curve. Um, and so this was bound to happen. And frankly, you know, I I, I welcome it because I could not operate um, under the conditions that we were operating under in the last two years. Yeah, no, I agree. It was uh, untenable. We were just. Um, I was just telling you, doing these all these market studies that I that I do and and it's 
this building's fifty dollars per square foot higher than the one that just launched. That one's fifty dollars. That is fifty. You know, it's just just hyperinflation well, 30, happening. Forty percent growth right? year over year in real estate prices is yeah, completely it's, it's, unsustainable. Yeah, it just made no bananas. sense. And then the fact that the costs going up the way they're going up, you keep needing it, this. You know, it, as much end. as it's terrible as we want to see as much housing supply as possible, you need these resets because you can't. We can't get, keep running construction at our capacity, right? Because uh, then just costs get get out of control. Uncertainty gets out of control. You know, no one knows. You can't operate with massive uncertainty, yeah. right? You know, in terms of what it's going to cost you to build this building and sell this building and manage this building, right? So, yeah, but we, had, Listen, we still had 15,700 sales in the first half of the year, right? So Yeah, but the second still half gonna is going to be... There's still going to be some pressure Listen, on, I agree on with cost. you, Sam. I, I welcome it, too. Like, I think that the free money thing was insane. I think it was going on for too long. People were refinancing their mortgages at prime minus two, locking in five years at 1.5%. Like, to me, that that was unsustainable as well, right? So, like, right. the fact that we're back to some level of normalcy in terms of what, like, the overnight or the prime rate is, I think it's pretty healthy, you know? Like, and it's scaring people, but I don't think, I think it's an overreaction in some ways, in some regards to what's happened. Like, this this is normal, you know? Well, look, mor mor normal. mortgage rates are, you know, a little ahead of what they were pre-COVID, but nothing crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I want the market to, you know, normalize. Yeah. Uh, because uh, until that happens, until I have some certainty in terms of what my costs are going to be, uh, we're going to be reluctant to take anything to market. Yeah. And there's enough risk just on the approval side and the you know the building permitting uh, issues that we face. Um, and this is why you know I, I I tell my guys back at the office, you know unless you can tell me I have a building permit in my hand, yeah. we are not selling anything. Exactly. So we are not going to market. Yeah. Gone are the days where. You buy a piece of land, you go to market, and then you you make your rezoning application. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, <laughs> guys are still doing never, that. We've never done that. <laughs> we have never done that because I always insisted on at least the zoning bylaw. But that's not good enough anymore. There's so many requirements after that to get you to a shovel in the ground. Yeah, um, you just can't take those risks because it can take you upwards of a year, if not longer. It's it's funny that you said that because I have a I had a question on here about you know citizen being fairly conservative. I said, you know, some developers will rush their 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 project uh, um, once it's owned to to to, and to launch the sales. Um, but you seem to be a little bit more methodical. You seem to be, you know, yeah, the Lakeshore Scholar Designers Walk. You've had those kind of we've been working on those for years. You know, um, and, and plan to launch any of those soon, or are you, you know, are, are you the type of developer that you just, if someone comes to you with a good offer to to buy one of those entitled uh, projects, you're happy to sell it, or do you, you do, or do you see it as the, your baby? You know, this is my baby. It's taking me this long to get it approved. I, I want to see it all the way to the end. No, we've we've sold land, um, and uh, you know, will I sell land going forward? Probably, uh, but you know, we obviously want to build as well. Uh, I've got two more sites at, at Pier 27 that we're getting ready, and uh, you know, soon. I'm not sure what that means, but you know, soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, 3C, which is uh, the lands that we bought from Home Depot back in 2010. Where's that? Um, <laughs> so that's you know between Parliament and Cherry, south of Lakeshore, oh, yeah. on the waterfront. So we have an approval for two and a half million square feet there. Oh. And uh, so, you know, that one's going to be ready to market probably within a year. Wow. Um, and you know, that's an interesting project. 
because so, sorry, how many, 12, 12 years in the making yeah. it's been a long it's been a long time um and are, are the grounds ready to go earthworks is ready it's well, the new Cherry Street Bridge is in place, yeah. and uh, the realignment is uh, is, is going to happen. Uh, not only Cherry, but uh, Queens Key as well. Right. Um, Tridell and Hines are pretty much done, and uh, Great Golf and Dream now have an approval uh, on their site, which is our neighbor to the uh, to the west. Right. Uh, we are slightly ahead of them, um, and we'll see what happens with Keyside. But that's uh, you know that's an exciting project as well. So. So there's a lot set. happening in that part of the city, and and that's the last of it in terms of uh, the eastern waterfront before you're into the portlands. Right. So were you sad that uh, Sidewalk Labs walked? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you glad? <laughs> they were, you know, they were making you know demands that I thought were you know a little too excessive. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm glad it, uh, it it went the way it, it went, and. Uh, Dream now has it, and I, I think they're going to do a great job. Um, so looking forward to their submission. Um, that's going to be uh, it's going to be a great neighborhood. I, I see that they have a lot of green on the on their buildings, just similar to the one you you have uh, planned for the uh, the Yorkville area. Um, you know, where, where did they? You know, I haven't seen many of these super green buildings. Is that is is, is are, are these renderings realistic? They are. Um, so that was a design by uh, Brian Brisbane, Brisbane Brook Bainan. Um, and uh, it was a, a building very similar to that was built in Milan um, years ago. Um, and um, there, it's a whole system in terms of how you grow these trees and these planters. Um, and then you place them on these terraces um, and they get uh, hooked up to uh, um, equipment that manages them, feeds them, waters them. Um, they have to be pruned uh, occasionally, um, so there's a system for doing that. Um, but it's very, very possible. Okay. Um, and outdoor spaces are important. I yeah. mean, I, I get that all the time. People, and it's not just a little balcony. Um, people don't use, well, look where we are today. We're here in this backyard yeah. under this umbrella, sitting here having this discussion. You can't do that on a four-foot four balcony. Um, so if you have uh, if you have a terrace that is sized to accommodate seating like we have here, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to spend more time out there. Obviously not in January, but I don't think you're out here in January. Either. <laughs> no, definitely not. And then the trees they do well in the winter. They can make them live. Yes. Yeah, they can feed and it's them. It's a combination in of evergreen and deciduous, and uh, so it's it'll stay green. Right. They don't. That's great. They don't go brown. So you've been at this for. Too long. How, how many years have you been? How you been developing in Toronto now? Well, since the early '80s. Yeah, it's almost 40 years. Around 40 years. And my kids are in the business now. So, so well, they've always was, been in the business. Yeah. Sarah is uh, 37, and she heads up uh, our marketing group, and um, also helps out with uh, with customer care issues, and uh, and that's something that my wife Maria takes on. Okay. Um, it's difficult to hire people to do that job. So it's, and, it's a true and, family business. And she does a great job. Yeah, and Dom, you know, Dom started uh, on the construction side, um, worked on a job site, and uh, he uh, went to York and uh, has a degree in environmental science. Uh, didn't tell his, uh, his student friends that his dad was a developer back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Smart guy. Not when, not when you're in environmental studies. Um, so so he, he likes construction, but, you know, recently he's transitioned into, into role, the role of a development manager, and, and that's, what he, that's what he likes to do. 
So, so is the what, what's next for a citizen? Are you gonna? You sound like you. On one hand, you sound like you're kind of ready to, to step aside, but on the other hand, you just told us about two and a half million square feet at uh, <laughs> C3, and you sound excited about some of these future projects. I mean, you can never fully take your uh, hand off the wheel, I don't no. think. But and you know uh, what? Like as as difficult as things may seem right now in the marketplace. I think we have 10 offers out there on, on various properties. So if I can, if I, <laughs> if I can I'm a deal junkie. If I can buy them at the right price, we'll, buy them. Uh, we'll buy them. So we, no, we, we want to grow. Um, we have, uh, we have a number of projects and in inventory that, uh, we're going to prepare and, and, and get them ready to take the market when the time is right. Um, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm working harder than ever. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm 63 yeah. and, uh, I feel like I want to do this forever. I, you. you know, I, I truly enjoy what I do. You'd be like uh, with Johnny's grandpa, Murray, Murray, Murray Goldman. He's <laughs> in his like mid nineties and he's still going every single day at the office. Yeah, is he in his mid nineties? Wow. He's early nineties. Yeah, he's ninety two wow. or ninety three. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's up there. But so, so one of, one of my first job, first jo- consulting jobs at at Bullpen was working on a Hamilton waterfront development project. Uh, and I've always been bullish on Hamilton. I thought it was, a, uh, you know, it, it makes just makes more sense as a you know a place that people would that are moving out of the GTA would go to Hamilton because it's a it's a city. It's got his you know historic not eh, historic downtown. It's got bones, right? It's got right. it's got life down there. Um, and it's kind of interesting that a developer launched a project in March of last year, seven hundred twenty-five bucks a foot. They just launched another site uh, like two weeks ago, a thousand fifty bucks a foot. And so, they sold one hundred and sixty units. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, so how's how's your Hamilton project proceeding, and uh, and what's what's the biggest issue there? Is it parking? Is it the market? What's 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 going on with that one? I drove by by the way about I don't know two months ago. It's beautiful. Like I actually was at a wedding years ago at that. There's like a restaurant. Right. Just I guess if you're looking at the water, just to the left of it. But I mean, it's on the wall. I mean, it's a great site. If you, yeah, guys, it is. It's, 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 it's I love that site. And you and bought it from the city, right? We bought it from the city. Yeah. And, and is the city uh, still a partner, or are they? The city acted acted as the developer, so they subdivided right. the lands, uh, built the infrastructure, and we bought the uh, development parcels. Um, and we hope to launch the first phase uh, sometime during the spring. Uh, that's what we're uh, we're planning on. Um, yeah, I mean, when we first looked at that deal, the re- you know the revenue side was not much higher than five hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah, and now we're looking at numbers that are approaching a thousand dollars a square yeah. foot. I mean, where we're going to be in the spring, I don't know, um, but uh, you know, it's it's obviously encouraging. Um, but you know, Mrs. Uh, uh, Hamilton has transformed. Um, you know, it's no longer blue collar, uh, heavy industry. Uh, it's more health science, technology. Uh, Stelco just sold, I think it was 800 acres of land to uh, <laughs> Slate Properties. Yeah. And uh, I understand they want to build this, you know, uh, technology business campus. Um, so that, you know, that'll be really exciting for, for the city of Hamilton. And, uh, no, it's... Uh, it's something that we're looking forward to, and uh, I, I'd like to do more projects in, in Hamilton. I think it's up and coming, and uh, uh, it has uh, it has this vibe that yeah. that, that I like. I it's, like it it's too. It's got this grittiness to it, which um, 
you know, I, 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 I think we'll, uh, we'll be I don't know why. I just keep thinking it's like the next Austin. I don't know why that, like that city always popped into my head is like, uh, it kind of maybe, is, maybe it's just Pittsburgh now, but maybe it will be Austin in the, the one, future. The one comment I, I know a couple of people who live in Hamilton and the one comment repeatedly, it's, it's not a commuter town. If you live in Hamilton, you work in Hamilton, you have family in Hamilton, you shop in Hamilton, you dine in Hamilton. It's not like you live in Oakville and you work in Burlington or Mississauga or you take the GO train into Toronto or you live in Burlington and you take the GO train to wherever it is you work. Like it's, it's very much so you you live there, you grew up there, you have friends and family there, and that's where you live, work, yeah. play, everything. It's, it's much different than I think a lot of these commuter towns. No, Hamilton, Hamiltonians are proud. And they, they don't want to be compared to any other city. They, right. they are proud of their city. Yeah. And, you know, we have to fit into that, that fabric, respect that fabric. Um, and, you know, look at our team. Uh, you know, Bruce grew up in Hamilton. Um, Sasha from uh, Greybrook grew up in Hamilton, has family in Hamilton. Um, Hunter Milbourne's on the team now, and, you know, he has roots in, in, in Hamilton. Um, so, you know, we've got... Uh, we we we've, we've got people on our team that uh, that have history there. I got to ask you a quick question. We're we're sort of running out of time, and I have two more things I want to ask you. But one is just you, you mentioned Sasha from Greybrook, and you've talked about Fernbrook, and you've we talked mentioned quickly Joe Valella from Terracotta. You've always you always seem to have good partners on all the projects you work on. Is that uh, by design, or is that just sort of happened organically, or or do you just believe in in good partners and de-risking? Uh, I believe in managing risk, yeah, okay. and uh, and obviously having partners that contribute um, obviously is is a big plus. Uh, I've been blessed. I've you know I've got amazing partners. I you know throughout my career I've always had you know fantastic partners, and uh, and I built my company uh, on that partnering model. Uh, that's how we grew the business. I mean I started with very little. Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to partner um, and raising capital through partnering uh, is how we built it. Um, and uh, and going forward, you know, I want to. I'm encouraging my children to do the same um, and um, and continue with these with these relationships. I mean, you know, I, I love the relationship with Greybrook, uh, Peter Politis, and, and and Sasha Kukuz are they're, they're they're great partners to have. Joe Valella is a great partner to have. At Citizen, I had uh, I had partners as well. Um, um, Joe Cordiano and, and Paulo Stellato, who are playing less of a role these days, but uh, they're still involved in, in some of the legacy projects. Uh, I've always been blessed. I, I've always had great partners. Uh, Danny Salvatore at, uh, at Fernbrook. Yeah. We've been together now for over 20 years. Um, you now he's doing his thing more so, and I'm doing my thing, but we're still involved. We're still partners. And, That's great. Uh, and the Chung family, you know, Robert and Chi, um, who were my first partners uh, on the Esplanade. Really? Um, they're... You know, they're they're like my brothers. Wow. Um, so <laughs> for me, no, that, it's a good uh, answer. It's, it's, it's yeah. a lot of a lot of guys can't work with other people, but obviously you seem to be able to get along, and uh, it served you well. And and the last question, because we are uh, we got it, we got to start to wrap up. But I do want to give you an opportunity uh, just to talk a little bit about uh, blue jeans, because I know it's obviously near and dear to your heart, and uh, I think it's it is it's it's probably more important to you today than development is and. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about it and, and sure. your role in, on the board and, and whatnot. Yeah. So back in 2016, um, my daughter Sarah had, uh, had her first child. 
and her name is uh, Sienna. And, um, you know, we thought she was healthy. And um, after a number of months, uh, Sarah starts noticing things that she was concerned about. Um, and initially, you know, no one paid a lot of attention to it because the symptoms were not uh, severe. Um, but then gradually uh, it became apparent that there was something wrong. And um, she went through uh, exhaustive testing and uh, they found out that she has a rare genetic disease called Tay-Sachs. And, uh, and this, this disease, Tay-Sachs, uh, mainly affects uh, uh, Ashkenazi Jews uh, and people from Eastern Europe. Um, and in those communities, uh, it's controlled mostly, there's no cure. It's controlled mostly through screening. It was a real problem back in, you know, uh, the day. Uh, but through screening, uh, they managed to control it uh, because both uh, parents have to be a carrier of that, of mm -hmm. that gene. It's a recessive gene. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and if that's the case, there's a 25% chance you're going to have a child with, uh, with Tay-Sachs. And it's an awful disease. Uh, most kids don't live past four years old. Um, Sienna, I'm happy to say, is over six years old That's now. That's awesome. And uh, she was treated with uh, with a new treatment um, at UMass in, in, uh, in Massachusetts. Um, it was a gene therapy. And uh, she was part of a clinical trial. And when we found out that she had uh, this disease, obviously it was, uh, um, you know, it was devastating. Um, but, you know, we quickly uh, rolled up our sleeves and, and, and went searching for someone to help her. Um, and we started to come across these various uh, projects that were working on various genetic diseases. Um, and, you know, some of them were professors at, at universities or teaching hospitals um, that were involved in these, uh, uh, in these trials. And they weren't even trials. They, you know, they were they were they were just uh, uh, basically re research projects, uh, you know, startups, um, operating on shoestring budgets. And there's very little money that uh, that that goes towards um, finding cures for for rare genetic diseases. Obviously, the big money goes towards uh, heart and stroke and cancer. Um, so we decided to try and make a difference. Um, and in, in in Sienna's case, we we came up upon this um, technology, which was gene therapy. And the research project had actually been shelved. Um, and uh, so they resurrected uh, that project because of the funding that we provided. Um, and later it was picked up by a large pharmaceutical. Um, so we, we thought, you know, we can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and if in the end it's not going to, you know, help Sienna, you know, it, it can help other children, um, uh, not just with Tay-Sachs, but with other uh, rare genetic diseases. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a big event coming up in September. It's it's our Velo Blue ride. It's our, it's our cycling ride. I I'm heard an about avid it. cyclist. And, uh, <laughs> we're, it's inspired uh, me to get back on the bike. <laughs> I asked Dom for the, he said he's going to supposed to email me the information. So it's been, a, for it's us, it's been a terrible year for cycling. I haven't been on the bike like I want to be on the bike, unfortunately, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a passion of mine. Where um, is it and when is it? So it's in, uh, it's in Niagara Falls. Uh, it's, uh, it's on the 16th, if that, if that's the Friday yeah. of September. And, uh, we had a small ride last year, uh, not a lot of participants, but we did, 
we raised over three hundred thousand dollars through through wow. our various corporate uh, affiliates and 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 supporters. Um, and this year we're hoping to raise at least that, if not if not more. So. Um, well, we're in. So tell us what we need to. Yeah. Uh, well, we're happy to share all the information. Yeah. No, and, but uh, seriously, I, we, we want to support, and it's, thank it's you. a great cause. I appreciate that. You guys that. do good work, and thank I know you. it can't be easy. I can't even imagine. So, with uh, with that, we're going to go on to the rapid yeah, fire. Yeah, we, we, we like to end on a on a bit of a, a fun note. If you're uh, up for a few more questions, so we usually do these rapid fire uh, questions. Try to keep your answer to like one to five words is sort of the rule. No one ever does it, but uh, <laughs> we we like to. Uh, and Steve will get an answer and be like, "Can you expand on that?" I even though do, it's yeah. rapid fire. Yeah, well, so I mean, we always come with these topics that are that are quite interesting. And um, my first question should be, "Do you like dogs?" Because I feel like my <laughs> dog is not left to look at her now. Yeah, no, we had a little dog that passed away not long ago. Oh really? Yeah, she's been sitting behind <laughs> yeah, the whole time, she's licking herself for a while over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, number one, what's the most used amenity in a new condo project? The gym. How do you feel about developers that go back to purchasers and ask for hundreds of thousands uh, after the units have sold due to cost overruns? Is that fair? It's not fair, but it might be a necessity to keep a project alive. It beats a cancellation. Yeah. Do you think companies really care about ESG, or is it just a value signaling? I'd like to think virtue signaling. Yeah. It says value. I'm sorry, <laughs> Steve doesn't write any of these questions about it. <laughs> no, I, I, look, I, I'd like to think that people care. Uh, I just think there's a lot of confusion about ESG. I and, agree, and yeah. I don't know how genuine people are um, in their uh, in their approach. Uh, that's more than five words, I think. <laughs> it's a buzzword, you know. Okay. From your perspective, are employees more or less productive when they work at home? I don't know. That's why I want them at the office. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a good answer. answer. I like Very that good answer. answer. What, uh, outside of Toronto, what's the best or your favorite city in Canada? I would say Vancouver. But mind you, hold on. I like Montreal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> There's something about Montreal. You know, it's old Europe. Um, Okay, well, outside of Canada, what's your favorite city to visit? I have to say Florence. I, was, I knew it was going to be in Italy. <laughs> it's got to be Italy. <laughs> yeah. You knew it was going to be I in knew Italy. It. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how about this one? Okay. CBC, CNN, or Fox News? All of them. <laughs> oh, interesting. I flip, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a channel flipper. I, you, you know, you and I try and teach that to everyone. Um it uh, you need you need a wide perspective on news. It's true. I agree. How about this new highway, Highway Four Thirteen? Yes, no, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, safe answer. Yeah, yeah. Are outside broker commissions too high? No. Wow. <laughs> wow. Are there too many cannabis shops in Toronto? Too many. Yeah. There are? Too many, yes. <laughs> Actually, this uh, question should have been, are there enough cannabis shops yeah. in the city? Okay. Uh, will we ever truly get large uh, families living in condominiums in downtown Toronto? Yes. I have uh, three children uh, with children uh, in condos. Yeah. Well, we should, we should note that 
we we have lots of developers on our show, and you live in your own building, which is fantastic. To, and you have for many I, years too, I, right? I, How many I years have you been I, there? I practice what I preach. Yeah. Uh, I live at uh, London on the Esplanade, and uh, we moved in in 2009. Um, we were living up in Richmond Hill, and uh, the kids had gotten to an age where they started talking about moving out. And uh, I said to my wife, now's our chance to move out. And yeah. we were building uh, or planning on building London at the time. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a, an opportunity to build something the way we wanted, uh, wanted it to be. Um, and I wanted a big terrace. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've been there ever since. And initially I thought my wife was going to have a very difficult time moving into a condo because she's always lived in a house. Yeah, She loved it. And she loves it. And she would never go back to a house. That's awesome. Really? That's awesome. Well, we should uh, yeah. end it there. But That's uh, a wrap. If, if someone wants to find Citizen yourself, where do, where do they go on the interweb? or Citizen.ca. Nice. .ca. I love a good are .ca. You, are you on... Uh Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, if anyone wanted to track you down. I am. I was very active uh, back in the day, and uh, I'm mostly a, uh, a, a participant through uh, a passive uh, um, yeah. <laughs> way. Um, I'm no longer actively involved in, in, in social media. I, uh, I saw you complain about Porter Airlines delaying one of your flights. I didn't I, see I that. I did. I did complain. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good question. Well, no last rapid fire. Should Porter allow? Because I saw this Pierre Polivier video saying, you know, we gotta, we gotta let, uh, we gotta expand the runway at, at Porter. Now you're, you're a condo owner. You live on the water. It, it would. Well, they want six, jets. They want jets. They want to bring in jets. He's, he's you know, pushing for it. Like, I like Pierre, but I thought that was maybe a questionable move on his those part. Those props are noisy as well. I mean, if uh, I, I'd have to be convinced by the noise level. So if the noise yeah. level were equal to or less than, what I would say, okay. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be double the noise level. No, yeah. Then my answer would be no. Yeah. Well, his whole thing—it's like all these wealthy condo owners who live in these high-rise buildings are complaining, but it's better for the the Canadian economy. Yeah, I love Porter because they got extra legroom. But I didn't like when they didn't let me fly to Montreal because my passport had expired. I'm like, I'm going Canada to Canada here, babe. I don't need. Uh, <laughs> babe. <laughs> I'm like, you know, just let me on, man. Well, you should have just brought your driver's license. <laughs> Actually, it was my driver's license that expired. Oh. I, I messed it up, but you, you know what I'm saying. I got it. I Something get it. expired. Anyway, yeah, as long as it expired. wasn't you. <laughs> Listen, you've had a great, great career, and the city is blessed by many of your uh, beautiful towers and. Uh, Thank you for joining us and uh, sharing some of the insight with us. We appreciate it. Pleasure. Hopefully more to come. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't see you slowing down anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.